All right. Well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three for the reading of Scripture. And I want to welcome all the kids with us today. We do invite the kids to be with us uh, the first Sunday of the month for uh, our time in the Scriptures because, kids, we do believe that these are the words of life, and we do believe that God intends them for you as well. I'm going to slide. See, if everyone's going to sit in the back, I'm going to slide. I have a pulpit on wheels, guys. This is next level here, so just saying, you know. So, kids, we're glad to have you here, but there's a couple rules. The first is that we do need you to listen with your ears, and if you're listening with your ears, that means that you're not talking. Unless you have a question you want to whisper to a parent, we do ask you to remain seated. And we're going to give you a couple things to draw if you do a good job. If your parents think you do a good job, we have a prize for you out out on the side following the service. But would you all now listen here with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love. The reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Now that when the Pharisees gathered to him, that is Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within 
and they defile a person. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we come now before uh, these words. We sit under them, and I recognize that as we come here today, we uh, in no doubt come from all sorts of different places. Some of us have come in this room, uh, and our lives uh, are shining like the sun with blessing and goodness and health and comfort. Others of us come in here, and our lives feel dreary and downcast and depressed. Some of us come here with deep pain in our physical bodies. Others of us come here with profound pain on our souls. Lord, I recognize further that some of us come here uh, believing in you, eager to hear from you. Others of us come here not quite sure what we believe. Some of us, no doubt, come here convinced that you are not real uh, and that the words that have just been read do not matter and are not true and do not address the things that we need in life. But I pray, O God, that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we come here in a season of blessing or a season of need, whether we come here uh, with much faith or with many doubts, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we all come ultimately the same. We all have an overwhelming and unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would show us how you have provided these needs in the person and work of Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. We are in our sermon series that, from the Gospel of Mark that we're calling immediately the urgent mission of Jesus Christ. And one of the things I want to begin with is asking this question, what was, what is the mission of Jesus Christ? And you know, I'm reminded that when you have a clear mission with the right people executing that mission, the world can change in all sorts of unexpected ways. For example, I wonder if any of the kids here know what this is. Has anyone seen one of these before? Yes, young lady. It's an iPhone X. Close. It's the, it's the 10R, as I understand. And does anyone tell me what president of the United States is responsible? What president of the United States is responsible for us having these kinds of devices in our pockets, on our wrists, and in our backpacks? Anyone? Anyone? Yes, young person. That's right. If you said President John F. Kennedy, anyone say that? Yes? If, if you said... <laughs> yes, you are an expert in all these matters, John. If you said John, President John F. Kennedy, then you are correct, right? Because John F. Kennedy laid out an unmistakably clear vision to see a man put on the moon. Unmistakably clear. He said, I don't, you know, no, no matter what happens, we will have a man on the moon. And well... The NASA computer scientists had a problem because computers used to fill entire rooms. You could not fit a computer on the lunar landing module, and so the microchip had to be invented. And out of that uh, mission, the world has changed in all sorts of ways far beyond the scope of the mission. So a clear mission with the right people changes the world in all sorts of ways. And what we're asking today is we're trying to get at this essence of the mission of Jesus Christ. So kids, what I want you to do is I want you to begin by going ahead and drawing a spaceship, preparing to launch to the moon, because we're asking this question uh, about the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, 
As I ask this, one of the curious uh, details that arises is this. We ask this ourselves, well, Darren, we already know what the mission of Jesus Christ was. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to uh, bring a people to God and to save them from their sins. But then you ask this question, okay, well, why do we see Jesus so frequently, so passionately going head to head with effectively the leaders of the church at his day? It would seem unnecessary, wouldn't it? And in this passage in particular, it would seem especially unnecessary. Why? You see, Jesus comes onto the scene and he's teaching those who would follow him what life in his kingdom is like. And these other folks come along and they say, you know, but we, we have more strict standards than you. Right? They point out that they, they observe all sorts of rules and regulations and laws that Jesus' followers don't observe. And friends, what we see is that Jesus is passionate in his response to them. And I just want to point out, one of the best ways to get to know another person, if you're here and you say, I want to meet some friends, I want to get to know others, I want to truly do life with other people, one of the ways you do that, if you can, is you find out what others are passionate about. Right? What makes them tick? Right? If you find out someone's passion, you have a door, a window into the soul. And Jesus here is absolutely passionate in his correction of these men for the things they were doing. Why is that? Well, that's effectively the question that we're going to answer today. And I'm going to use a term that's not used in the passage, but I think is fairly accurate in describing what's going on, and that is the term legalism. You see, friends, I think we can say from this passage that Jesus Christ despises legalism. Jesus Christ despises legalism. So let's go ahead and get into that now. Kids, what I want you to do next is go ahead and draw a person carrying a big, huge book, and on the book, write the word commands, okay? Write the word commands. And because that's what the definition we have of legalism comes in this passage in verse 7. Look at what Jesus says. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah, and he's addressing it to uh, these folks that are addressing him. And he says this. He says, you, the second part of verse 7, teach as doctrines, right? As, as words that come from God, you teach as doctrines the commands of men. And in uh, verse 3, it says here, uh, that they have all sorts of tradition and many other traditions that arise. Now, what was going on here? So the Pharisees effectively looked at Old Testament teaching. So in the Old Testament, there were all sorts of rules and regulations about how someone might approach God in the temple. Right? Tim Keller, I think very, very helpfully, as always, uh, compares it to a surgeon preparing for surgery. Right? If you're a surgeon and you are preparing for surgery, what you have to do is you have to scrub, and you have to scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. And if you sort of were just, you know, kind of lazy about it one day, and someone watched you, you know, sort of have a, you know, Big Mac, and then just sort of like, okay, where's the patient, right? You would be, you would be barred from operating, right? Because in surgery, what rules the day is to be clean. And likewise, in the Old Testament, if you were going to approach God, you had to scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. And only then 
Could you approach God once you were sufficiently clean? Well, what these folks did was they said, if that's true of approaching God uh, in the temple, then it must also be true in other parts of our lives. So we're going to create all these traditions and all these rules whereby if you do them, you can finally one day be clean. Right? And what Jesus does here is he responds to them. We get a little bit of a window into why this infuriated him so much. And look with me in verse 9. This is what he says. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying this. Yes, you have the appearance of being so strict, so robust, following so many rules, Right? You're rule-keeping superstars, but the reason you're doing this is to escape responsibility. Do you see that? He says, look, God has been very clear that you need to honor your father and mother. And what these folks were doing was they said, you know, yes, that's true. Of course that's true. They would never say it's not true. However, we believe that we can, quote, devote our houses to God, for example and say that these are sanctified only unto God, and therefore, we do not need to carry out our responsibility of caring for our parents like the law so clearly revealed, because we have found uh, a reason that we can somehow escape that responsibility. And so, what we find here, what Jesus says very clearly, is that the legalism of his day was simply a means to find loopholes in the fulfilling of what God said is good, right, and true. Right? So in other words, they, they hid all of their escape by following all sorts of rigorous rules. And no one would look at these folks and say, wow, they're really, they, they, they really are, are unkind people that don't care about family. But in reality, that's what was going on. So the purpose of legalism, uh, on one hand, was to... I think, exercise control. Notice that they're wondering why Jesus is not following their teaching, the teaching of the elders that have been handed down by tradition. They're threatened because of the lack of control that they have over him. And then secondly, we see that legalism exists to escape responsibility. But then I think the essence of legalism, and friends, this is where it is so profoundly toxic, uh, is found in verse 6, where Jesus says to them this. He says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Right? Does anyone know what a hypocrite is, I wonder? Right? You know, young man, yes? Yeah. Yes, that's right. He said... He's, very, very great answer. He said, a hypocrite is someone who tells someone to do something, and they themselves don't do it. Well, in the original language, the word hypocrite means a pretender, right? Someone who is pretending to be something they're not, right? So when you're a kid, it's cool to pretend, right? It's cool to uh, try to experience life in the shoes of another. But these folks, with all of their rules and all of their teaching and all of their requirements, Jesus said, you do not know God, you only pretend to. You are pretenders. In other words, you are fake, you are phony, you have no actual real substance about 
your supposed knowledge of God, you're a fake. And friends, this is why I think we get a little bit of an insight into why Jesus is so furious with the legalists. Because not only did they didn't just have some ideas that were interesting and you, know, you could say, well, we agree to disagree. These were folks who were believed to be those who knew God most deeply, but in reality, they did not know him at all. They simply pretended to. And Jesus says this, he says, uh, you pretend by using your words and your lips, but your heart is far from me. And I will tell you, friends and kids and all who are here, that one of the most lethal things that can happen to your soul, one of the most spiritually dangerous circumstances to be in, is where you pretend to know God where you distract yourself with the keeping of arbitrary rules, but your heart is in no way engaged with who he is. When you find yourself in that place, when you find yourself in just simply going through motions, checking off lists, filling in the blanks, and your heart is cold towards God, that is profoundly spiritually lethal. And Jesus is absolutely furious at those who propagate such a teaching. Now, what Jesus will do here is he will go to, I think, one of the, uh, one of the uh, implications of what these folks were doing, which again gives us a deeper insight into why he was so furious. Kids, what I want you to do is I want you to draw a, I don't want this to be scary, okay, for you, but I do want you to do is draw a big heart. Anyone know how to, big heart? But this time I want you to make it black. Right, a black heart, and in the middle of it, right, sins. This is going to be good and awesome and scary and hardcore. So this is what's happening here in verse 15. You see, Jesus is so angry uh, at these folks because they have so much influence over people, and they're exercising their control. They don't love God. They only pretend to. They are... Um, using this as a means of sinning themselves. They're using their rules as a cover for escaping responsibility. But then beyond that, I think we get to yet a deeper implication that is so troubling to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think I want it to trouble you as well. And that is this. You see, legalism, the following of arbitrary rules not taught in Scripture, and then moreover, the following of them so that you might feel good about yourself, which is exactly what was happening, and look down on others as an aside. That activity serves as a distraction from the real issue, okay? Rule-keeping for the legalist is a distraction from the real issue. And friends, uh, I think that to understand this dynamic is to understand the life that you find yourselves in right now, okay? So one of my favorite philosophers is Jean-Paul Sartre. Anyone read Sartre, Nausea? Yes, right? And uh, love existential theology, philosophy, excuse me. Um, don't teach it, but I do, I do find it interesting because partly I do because I think he's so accurately diagnosed the reality that we live in. So in the novel Nausea, he effectively presents someone who recognizes 
that our world runs on all sorts of meaningless things. And he said, he looks around this cafe and he says, these people fill up their lives with distraction so that they don't have to be confronted with the nausea of meaninglessness. That's what they do. And friends, in the same way, what I believe was going on in this passage and what I believe goes, has gone on in my life and I know goes on in some of yours is that we find distractions in our lives, whether they be rule-keeping or entertainment right, or busyness, so as to not be confronted with the real problem and the real issue. And that is why Jesus' heart is so engaged in this teaching. But what is that real problem? What is that real issue? Well, Jesus will say it to people so clearly. Look at verse 14. He calls people together. He says, listen, you have to understand this. Calls people and he says, hear me, all of you. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And, of course, the disciples ask him about this, and then Jesus says in verse 18, Are you, do you still not understand? He is, he is shocked at their lack of understanding, and he says this, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And thus he declared all foods clean. And he said this, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And friends, this is where we are this morning. This is where Jesus would have the conversation go is this. You know, we have, uh, we have a wonderful men's accountability group, by the way, hat, you know, quick plug for that. If, you are interested, if you're a man interested in accountability, we have an awesome group uh, that seeks to bring guys together to hold each other accountable to the temptations of the flesh and say, we want to live for Christ and we want to help one another do that. And I love, love, love this ministry, right? And, and one of the things that they do that I find to be really helpful is this. You see, uh, if you find yourselves faced with temptation, and, and men oftentimes find themselves faced with particular temptations, right? it's good to get support in, in walking away from those things. It's good to find resources to say no to those, but there's a problem though, right? The problem is this. You see, we are defiled not by what comes into us, but from the desires that would go seek out those things. Do you see that? Right? We are defiled not by observing something, but from the desire to observe it. Friends, and in the same way, right? if you're sitting here this morning and you are jealous of a sister, if you are jealous of what someone else has, if you desire what others have, the Bible calls that coveting. But you might be here and you might be really self-controlled and say, you know, but I'm... I'm a good person. I would, never, I would never act on that. I will simply entertain it in my head. But the Bible looks you straight in the eye and it says you are unclean because of what is in your soul. Whether you act on it or not, you are 
defiled. And Jesus Christ, with all the passion that he has, looks at these folks who are teaching effectively, you know what, if you would just wash your hands some more, if you would follow our rules, if you would fall into line, if you would obey the system, then you can be clean. And the entire time they're doing that, the entire time they're saying that, they're going out and they're teaching all of these things, and they're looking so admirable because they have it all together, they're so good, they're so rigorous, and then they go in the back room and they say, I want, I want to cut the throat of this guy. You, got to, you have to understand this. These are the same people. We will turn the page in the Gospels, and they will be going teaching in the marketplace in one moment. Then they will go in the back room, and they'll say, I want to cut this guy's throat. And not only do they say it, but they plan it, and they execute it. Right? You see, because their rule-keeping was simply a ruse. It was simply a distraction. It was simply a way for them not to be confronted with the fact that we, that I, that you, that Darren has desires that God says are evil. Are you able to come to terms with that yourself this morning? If you're not, if you're not, you will never find the healing, the joy, the acceptance that we all long for, right? And that's why Jesus is so passionate about it. He says, the legalism here is simply serving to be a distraction from the actual problem. You see, the problem in our lives is not from the things that we consume, it's not from the things that happened around us, but it's the, the issues in our lives source from the desires of the soul that God says are absolutely in opposition to his good, perfect, and acceptable will. And therefore, therefore, the solution cannot be found in adding a few rules to adding a program, to adding some more rhythms to your life, but the, the solution must be found somewhere else. And kids, what I want you to do now is I want you to take this heart that you've drawn, okay, this black, dirty heart, and I want you to draw a pitcher of water being poured out over it, and next to it, draw a big, beautiful heart, okay? You see, what Jesus is doing, and the reason that he's so passionate about this is because the forces of hell have as their strategy that at every cost to turn your eyes away from the cross of Jesus Christ and onto something else. They don't care what it is. They don't care if it's images on a screen that you should not consume, or they don't care if it's simply a more rigorous rule-keeping. They want, at all costs, you to take your eyes off of the cross of Jesus Christ. But Jesus looks at these people. He has so compassion on them. He has so much compassion on you. And he says, look, number one, you're unclean. Number two, I'm about to change that. I'm about to change that, not through giving you another rule, not through calling you to be more rigorous in your hygiene, right, which is what they were doing, but I'm about to change that by myself, by me absorbing the uncleanness into myself and cleansing you thoroughly and completely and comprehensively in what would become the cross. You see, that was his mission. And we find out that the forces of hell, the forces of evil, the forces that are opposed to him will always, through one way or another, whether it be through the distraction of pleasures or through the distraction of rule-keeping, they have as their singular focus to take your eyes off of the cleansing that he offers.
But you see, Jesus will have none of it. And it's interesting because one of the dynamics we see in the Gospels themselves is that, you know, the folks who were real, relatively good at law-keeping, they're, they're bothered by Jesus. But the prostitutes, right, the tax collectors, they look at Jesus and they say, we're in. They have, they have nothing to lose because they've already been so profoundly condemned by all of their lives, by their habits, by their jobs, right, by their choices. They've already been labeled as defiled. They've already come to accept that. And so when Jesus comes and he starts preaching the gospel and declaring who he is and what he has, instantaneously they say, we're in. And you see, friends, the way to life, the way to joy, the way to find that which you long for is only found by accepting the cleansing that he offers. And that is what we're interested in here. That was the singular focus of his mission. And I want to leave you with a couple questions uh, to consider this. You see, we're going to turn to this table and we're going to be reminded anew of the depth of his love. And friends, if you, if you are a Christian today, if you are able to look him in the eye, as it were, and say, yes, I, yes, I'm evil. Yes, I have desires that you hate. Yes, I have things going on in my heart, whether they be, for example, pride. I'm unwilling to be humbled. Jesus says that's evil. Or I have desires for all sorts of things that you say are unnatural and defiled and dirty, and yet I find that my soul desires them nonetheless, right? Whatever your situation is, whatever your issue is, if you look Jesus in the eye and you hear him say to you, I have come to cleanse you. I've come to cover your sins. I've come to forgive you. And all of a sudden, you can be honest with yourself and with others. One of the reasons why, by the way, I think our men's group is so powerful is because there is a culture of honesty where folks come and they say, look, this is who I really am. Why can they do that? Answer, because they believe this gospel. Right? You can go around pretending. You can go around hiding your real self from others, and you can probably do a pretty good job of it. But you will only find emptiness there. You will only find death there. And Jesus Christ today in heaven is passionate for you to drop the ruse, to drop the act, to walk away from the distractions and to say, face yourself, you're more sinful than you know, but you're also more loved than you could ever imagine. And that is the Gospels, my friends. And I plead with you today, wherever you are, wherever, whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that's going on in your soul, could you face that honestly? Could you allow the reality of what's there to be acknowledged? And if you do, could you allow the reality of the gospel to be acknowledged even louder, even more clearly? And could we go forward as people who have been humbled but cleansed to likewise teach and proclaim and share this exact message with all the people in our lives who likewise need and long for it? Let me pray for you.